here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Well, I'm super excited for this this conversation because I know this dear sister for quite some time. Um, but for those who don't yet know uh, you and your work, please tell us, who is Amira Woods? Oh, Rev, first of all, I feel like number one thing I need to say is that I'm a huge fan. <laughs> a fan of yours, a fan of hip-hop. Oh, man. And uh, and truly, truly honored to uh, to be with you all and your phenomenal audience and um, allies today. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm excited. Um, and who am I? Amira Woods. You know, I think of myself as uh, a Pan-Africanist, Liberia, mm. uh, a feminist, uh, an environmental justice activist, and really a human rights defender. So I feel like I wear many, many hats, um, but uh, closest to my heart, you know, I, I, I often I think about the African world a lot. I think about um, people of African ancestry, wherever they are on this planet. And, uh, and, and so I spend a lot of my, um, my time, right? Both the, the nine to five and the, um, you know, all the hours, you know, um, uh, after that, right? Really focused on how do we um, be a part of, of, of the change that communities of color around this planet seem mm. to happen, right? They are engaging in phenomenal ways in leadership to protect communities, to protect land, to protect rights, to protect dignity. And uh, so I see myself as, you know, being in solidarity with all that. <laughs> mm. Doing whatever it is that I can to amplify that work, to move it forward, to um, to be you know sort of that that bridge that can connect communities um, in, as they as they go forward in their in their bold, courageous work. So that's me, um, born in Liberia, but very much uh, living in the D.C. area, part of the the policy apparatus, part of the philanthropy apparatus. Um, but very much an activist. Well, we're going to unpack a lot of that. And I, you are, I'm going to say this for those who are listening. And I want to say this because I, I guess I know Amira for a very long time. And she is on the list. Of, if I got to put a list of the smartest people, one of the most smartest, like, activists, she's on that list for me. So just let y'all know who you're listening to. She is, she's on that list and up near the top of that list. Uh, so she's one of our brilliant thinkers in this in this in this movement. And we are so grateful that God gave us Amira Woods. Amira, I want oh, you to unpack well, a few you know, that's like that's like I gotta say, mutual, right, Rev? It's like uh, you know, I, we learn with each other, we learn from each other. I feel like way back in the day yeah. <laughs> Pop Caucus was just getting started. I know. You know, watching, you know, the leadership emerge. Um, from you and all those that are part of the Hip Hop Caucus family. And, and that kind of leadership, bringing out young people, um, artists, culture workers, musicians, it's like, you know, at the forefront of 
intersectional work and thinking, even before we started using that term, right? I mean, you all have been there. So we learn with each other, we learn from each other, and we learn because of each other. So just wanted to lift that up and to... to no, well, no, you know. You know, know and the team. Thank you. Right? I, I, listen, and if, if they were to check in the mail, the check would be in the mail. I, I, appreciate, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate all of that. <laughs> Amir, let me ask you a question. I want before I get this, I, I got just a litany of questions for you, but I want to unpack what you just said in the beginning for folks who need to understand. There's like three things you said, and so I want you to give the definitions from your perspective. So the first one: What is a Pan Africanist? A Pan Africanist is someone who really sees the world in an interconnected ways, understands that. The human family originated in Africa and that, you know, we spread throughout the planet, but are, you know, but and and we now live in regions throughout the world. But um, there is a connective tissue. Um, some of us, you know, we read the, the, the African historians like Carl Patrick Burroughs, who talk about, you know, way before colonialism, way before, you know, um, uh, the slave trade, even our people. Um, they were connected in powerful ways, in a Pan-African way. There were, um, from the 1500s, right, universities in places like Timbuktu that educated people in math, in science, in, in technology, way back then, right? Um, and educated people from throughout the African world, understanding that, you know, um, bringing knowledge Bringing leadership, bringing change is not about what happens within the boundaries of one country. It is about uh, understanding that we are connected wherever we live on this planet. And it's drawing those connections, creating spaces where we as a people can come together to learn, to create, to vision the future and, and to boldly, you know, pr protect our people for future generations. So, so the Pan-Africanists more most recently, people know Kwame Nkrumah, people know there are there are a number of, of leaders, you know, um, Marcus Garvey, the list is really powerful and long, right? Probably we have an hour just on that. But it's people who sort of vision that wherever you are, um, as as part of the African ancestry, as part of the African world, we are one. And we rise. Together, we, you know, and it's and we move boldly when we are united. So there, there's a lot of analysis going on of Pan-Africanism, um, you know, looking looking back, how did we get to where we are? And then Pan-Africanism today and Pan-Africanism in the future, Africans Rising, Bill Fletcher, a bunch of people that are, I mean, a mama brilliantly leading a festival in Ghana, uh, uh, a Kwame Nkuma festival in September. There are a number of powerful minds that are grappling with where we are. Um, as Pan-Africanists on that journey. Um, so there's a deeper answer to that to that question. But I think it's important for us to just understand that we don't think of boundaries. We don't think of, of communities. We, we think of our, our, our people, really, as, as one in struggle, in movement, in power. Beautiful. So next thing, the so next thing you mentioned, what, is, what does it mean when you say feminist, and I'll just add womanist? Oh, that is um, for for me. It's um, it's an analysis of the world that, at its core, is intersectional. It's understanding that without unleashing the full power and potential of women, 
we will not reach our goals as a people. So it is recognizing that some of our our, our family are, are deeply matriarchal and have that formal political architecture of, of a matriarchal process, which is inclusive in nature, which is 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 listening and and probing and wanting to understand what the needs are of our children and and their children and how to best meet those needs it's, is deeply uh, uh, communal in in nature and 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 I think you know um, a, 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 a feminist tradition is one that that kind of lifts up um, leadership power in a different way it isn't sort of a I often think of like, you know, sort of a, a, a um, patriarchal and often, you know, white, quite frankly, right, mm-hmm. way of dealing with the world. It, 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 is, it is looking from the needs of the family, the community, the world. So it is, it is a vision of, of leadership and, and, and a vision of contesting power that actually um, lifts up. Um, uh, voices that have often been pushed to the margins, lifts them up. It amplifies their needs and also amplifies their creative energies and spirits. And I often think of, you know, there, there's so many. <laughs> I th- when I think of 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 of, of uh, powerful um, feminist uh, leaders, you know, um, there are many in the political sphere. I often think of, you know, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. My gra- very rural area in Liberia. Um, she was a school teacher, but also a leader, a leader in her, uh, a leader as a woman of faith and conscience, a leader in her church. Um, but also, you know, she was a woman who raised nine children, <laughs> you know, as a single mother. Mm. Right? She understood um, the power of, 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 you know, creating space where all are able to flourish. And she did that. And then the other I think of is my great grandmother, her her mother, who um, was was a midwife and an artist, could cure everything, right? But deeply understood, you know, like you have those plants in the background, the power of nature to heal, and um, and brought those healing energies um, to her family, to her community, um, and and so you know, it's women that have that power. But use that power in different ways, not mm. to press and, and, and subjugate, but to, to help the community reach its fullest potential. So when I think of feminists, yeah, there are many. <laughs> Certainly, mm. as, as Ella Baker, there's so many we can't even name, right? I mean, we would take an hour just naming. Um, but, there, but there are many who are our aunties, our mothers, our grandmothers. And um, they taught us. They taught us what leadership is about. Um, they taught us how to to really uh, protect our 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 own, <laughs> our land, our rights, uh, our people. And um, so that's what I think of when I when I think of feminism. It's an intersectional approach that tackles uh, economic systems of exploitation, that tackles uh, capitalism and, and and the racist underlyings of capitalism, and um, and that visions. Uh, a, a better world where we all are, are valued and our dignity is respected across the board. Mm. So one more breakdown. If I even get, I haven't even got to my questions. This, this is how I told you brilliant Amir Woods is. My last, uh, your definition of um, Africa 
and Africa Liberation. Wow. So I think of, of Africa as an epicenter, right? Not only of humanity, it's where humanity uh, was birthed, right? But it's also, you know, the continent alone is over one, it's about 1.5 billion people and growing, right? It is largely young people in, in, in you know, almost every country of the 55 countries on the continent has at least 60% of their population that's under 30. So it's a population that is thriving to, to um, express itself and, 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 and um, to be able to, to kind of drive the future, not only for the continent, but also for the diaspora and the world. And so, um, so yeah, so when I think of Africa, I think power. <laughs> I also, I think we, we have to recognize that there, there's been, you know, sort of this uh, racist lens on Africa that has to be debunked, right? Um, Africa is is uh, is actually incredibly rich in resources. It is the richness of the continent and its diaspora that has been the core of, of why the exploitation, really, for five hundred years. It is um, it's first the richness of our people, and so our people were were, were taken. Um, as, as uh, you know, in, in the, the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, it's the richness of our land where you think of any resource, you know, for those who had tea or coffee, I got, you know, I got my tea here, right? It's like, you know, we, we think about the tea, the coffee, all those resources, where they come from. It's the continent, right? But it's like vanilla beans. It's gum, chewing gum. It's every resource um, that you think of. It's there, but then it is also, um, it is also um, particularly gold, um, platinum, um, uranium. The resources that have run the global economy, um, mm. and and it is also uh, unfortunately those same resources, particularly oil, gas, and mining that has caused the, so much harm, not only to, to Africa, but to, to our planet. Um, so, um, so we think of the richness and we think of the creativity and we demand a more just global economy that actually um, is able to vision how those uh, resources uh, can, can be um, some used in a better way uh, so that the, the, the people and the planet and benefit, but others, they need to be left in the soil. They need to be um, left in the ground <laughs> to make sure the communities are not further. Facts on all of that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, they say keep, keep it in the ground. Um, Amir, let me actually, I, w- I want to ask this question because you have seemed to focus on issues. Obviously, we've heard uh, women's rights, poverty, entrepreneurship, sovereignty, uh, both in this country, the U.S., and in Africa. Tell us um, a little bit about how these issues for you intersect. Oh, Rev, thank you for that brilliant question. <laughs> for me, it's it's all about the intersectionality. It's all about connecting those dots, and it's all about power. How do we understand that that power um, has been you know misused for far too long and reposition our communities to really contest power? That, I think, is the core of, 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 uh, of, of what, what it's about. It is understanding that um, women hold up half the sky, as that old adage goes, right? And that unless we 
unless we realize the full potential of women, we cannot as a people advance. We also, I think, have to understand that it is people of color, black, brown, indigenous people around this planet that have been disproportionately impacted by not only the, the, the climate crisis, but an economic crisis that has historically left our mm. people um, without, you know, with, without dignity, right? Of our land and our rights and, and, um, and, and subjugated us. So we've got to look at the structures that have oppressed and dismantle them. Right? That's what it's about, contesting power to dismantle the systems of oppression that have stopped mm. us from realizing our fullest potential as a people. So I think of, of um, you know, the, the, the intersectionality as, you know, us claiming our rightful space in determining our own future in determining the future of the planet. Black, brown, and indigenous people are 70% of the people on this planet. percent, And yet you recognize that it's been particularly um, uh, multinational corporations that have been controlled by the U.S. and Europe. And we have to dig even deeper to say it is largely a patriarchal white male right, control mm. of, 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 of how economies function of who holds power and what it means to hold power. So we've got to kind of um, connect the dots in ways that we um, to, to really challenge the systemic oppression that has stopped us from realizing our fullest potential. So I think of, you know, um, I think of this COVID crisis and, and, and I think you know, many I, you know, it's so painful, Rev. I know, you know, it's like families all across our communities, all across this planet have disproportionately been impacted. And, you know, my family alone in this year lost six people. The last, the last one, two and a half weeks ago in South Africa. But four of those six were here in the United States, in Rhode Island, in New York. I mean, so I think we recognize that our people are, are living in food deserts. Our people are... Um, are, 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 wow. are often, you know, being deprived of land, land that is needed to grow healthy foods, um, land that is needed to, to sustain life, um, while also protecting the planet for future generations. So part of, of the struggle um, against particularly a racialized capitalism that, that is deeply patriarchal is understanding that Unless we're able to vision a world where we all are, 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 are flourishing, right? Where we have access to land, where we can grow healthy foods, where we can, can meet the needs of our communities without um, worrying about land being stolen, quite frankly, right? I mean, you know, and, and, and I, I think it's whether it's, um, you know, um, land, I mean, I, I just think about George Floyd's family, like, his grandfather, you know, owned hundreds of acres of land. Like, what happened to that? <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's like land sustains life. And, and so I think um, it's a part of, of the struggle mm. um, against capitalism is really visioning a future that puts the needs of people first. That means, you know, people who need access to land to grow healthy foods, to feed their communities. Um, not mechanized agriculture that's going to steal land, 
from black farmers, um, not, um, you know, uh, large corporations. Firestone is one of the ones that I, I focus a lot of time and attention on because, you know, uh, uh, in 1926, almost 100 years ago, Firestone was given a million acres of land that was there were people living on that land, right? You know, there was um, there were forests on, on 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 some of that land, right? That sustained the planet. But if you have a corporation controlling a million acres, and when you say forests, you mean you mean this is a million acres in Liberia, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is just in Liberia because it's the largest rubber operation yeah. in the world. I just want people. I want to understand. Yeah. You're, exactly yeah. Where. Thank you for clarifying that. That's just Liberia, but they are in Brazil. They're in many other. Malaysia, right? But that's million acres is just one one country of you know that happens to be where their largest rubber operations is, right? But if if one company is given a million acres and people are tossed off that million mm-hmm. acres, what happens to those people? Mm-hmm. How do they access um, opportunities to to feed their families in a wholesome and healthy way? You know, it's, it's connecting those dots in an intersectional way to say. We're fighting back against, you know, sort of the the, 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 the corporate um, exploitation of our people, right? And disregard for our people, rendering them invisible. But we're fighting because we vision, we vision something better, right? Where where people, wherever they may be, right here in Washington D.C., right? And it, you know, they're they're people who are are saying, you know, we need to have land to grow healthy foods. We can do this. This is our vision. And I'm so proud of our young Mm -hmm. leaders that are saying, we're going to demand this land. We're going to take it over if we need to, (laughs) because this is how we help our people survive. Healthy foods, healthy people, healthy planet. Um, And so we connect these dots. We connect the dots because that's how you attack the structures that have oppressed our people for far too long. And, And we connect the dots because that's how we we also have a connected, collective, almost um, um, communal right um, um, vision of particularly um, uh, the black world and 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 what needs to happen for people to to achieve their true measure of human dignity. Amara, um, you meant, we mentioned Liberia, and maybe you can give folks who are listening what is the significance of Liberia and our shared history, particularly for African-Americans and, and, and those who are from Liberia. What, what, is, what is that shared history for them who don't know? Oh, well, thank you so much. The shared history is deep. We could probably have an hour just on that, Rev. <laughs> but let me say that um, Liberia, is, it's, it's a twofold and beautiful history. So, you know, Liberia um, uh, came together um, back in the 1800s um, as it's really the first, um, uh, it's just Liberia and Ethiopia were the only two countries of the 55 on the continent that were never colonized, right? So um, you you have um, a deep- you know, you know, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, yeah. There's some really interesting things, right? And, and there's some also interesting things, like Liberia's constitution um, says explicitly that to own land, you must be a Black person. Like that's in the constitution, right? Like this is it's enshrined, right? Like you've got to um, the, the the issue of protecting the assets is 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 there, but yet there are these contradictions when it comes to um, multinational corporations, right? That's always been the problem. Hmm. 
So when you think of Liberia, I think you have to acknowledge that Liberia was a coming together of people from throughout um, uh, Africa who migrated to the coast. It's right along the coast of the Atlantic. So mm-hmm. if you just go, you know, from New York across the Atlantic, you will, you know, pretty much get um, to that side of the, of, of the African continent where Liberia is, just where the curve in the map goes. Um, neighbors, Sierra Leone, Ivory Coast, and um, Guinea. And so when you think of Liberia, it, it was established really as, um, as a haven, right? Um, as a haven where people who had been enslaved could look to a future where they controlled, right? Um, in terms of, of, of um, political means and, um, and, and control their destiny. Um, Liberia is really interesting because it was also supported by the American Colonization Society, which was made up in part by um, Southern senators who mm. basically wanted to get rid of examples of liberated people from the U.S., right? And so they were like, yeah, let them go somewhere else. And so that's also an, an interesting dimension of, of the, 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 um, the, the um, creation of the nation of Liberia. Um, but, but in essence, um, Liberia became um, a home. And there are many uh, over, the, the, um, over the century, really, that have um, migrated to Liberia from Haiti, um, from Barbados, um, from the Caribbean across the board, um, as well as from Latin America and the Americas, the U.S. Um, so you had very deep traditions of um, Hillary Teach, for example, was an African-American um, pastor. And, you know, I, I, as a man of faith, I'm just holding this up, right? You know, <laughs> he, he was a pastor, but he started the first newspaper. He started mm. for the African-American community and then moved to Liberia and continued. And so you had flow of information in the 1800s between the U.S., Africa and, and, and uh, the U.K. <laughs> because of people like, like Hillary Teach. So there are these deep um, leaders who who thought, you know, in a um, in a Pan-African way, before we started using that term even, right, who acted in a Pan-African way, who understood the power of communications as you do so beautifully today, right? To, uh, because you now look back, you can read, you know, the, 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 um, the sermons of Hillary Teach, but you can also read the newspaper mm-hmm. and understand that people seized their power. Freedom was not given. They took, right? They took it. And, and so, um, you know, as we, as we watch what's happening in places like Haiti today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Haiti, which became the first um, independent Black republic, um, it, you know, it, it was, it's phenomenal um, to see that, you know, in fact, it is, this, uh, there, there's, there's a line of people who fought for that liberation, Toussaint Louverture, well, you know, is, is the, the leader and visionary, but there's a whole line of leaders who thought about the liberation of their people and fought to um, to make sure that, um, um, you know, that that there were these havens for um, for black people fighting to be free. And that um, and so there was a deep connection between Liberia and Haiti. And, and between Liberia and the U.S. and, and Haiti. <laughs> and so I, I just, I think, you know, um, we, we, we can't think about one country in, in isolation. We have to understand that all of these countries 
existed and survived because they held each other up. Mm. So Liberia during the anti-apartheid struggle was a haven um, for the anti-apartheid leaders. They carried Liberian passports. They were funded um, by resources um, from the Liberian people to fight for um, uh, to fight against white rule in South Africa and to fight for their freedom. Um, so there's been this interconnectedness and 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 so yeah so so often people think of Liberia as being one of the founders of of um, what was the Organization of African Unity, what is now the African Union. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a proud and powerful tradition. I think we've got to also look at how that tradition um, was exercised in the liberation of our people across the, the across the world. You, you mentioned South Africa, so I, I want to. This is this is one of our off the deep end boards here kind of questions. I'm, I, I know you can go off this with with flying. <laughs> you can go off this board with no problem. So you mentioned South Africa. And so this is a layered uh, question. Um, and where we are now, there's obviously a lot of unrest in South Africa um, right now. But that, that stems also, there's been a clash that's been happening. We have a number of those in our movement who were amazing freedom fighters who then became presidents. And then many people say they either stayed too long or in many cases, there has now been a a clashing between the, this new generation. We've seen that in South Africa. We've seen it. We've seen it in Liberia. We've seen it obviously in Zimbabwe um, with Mugabe, and we've seen it in many other places throughout the continent where folks took on the the colonizers, and then they then were then in charge, and then now you have a new generation who is asking for different. Uh, well, that's a lot of things, obviously. And some things are, people may say are good, some things are bad. What is your take on all this? Because right now, Africa is at a crossroads of a new, you mentioned of a new generation of young people who are rising up. This crossroads is 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 exciting, but it's also at times violent. So where are we, what are your thoughts on this crossroads for Africa? Wow, what a powerful question, Rev. Thank you for that. I think of... Um you know, uh, liberation, it, it's, it's a long battle, <laughs> right? I think we have to remember that. Um, and we have to remember as we, you know, as, as we as a, as, a, as, a, as a human family fought against slavery, fought against Jim Crow, like this is not a linear path, right? Mm-hmm. Short. <laughs> These are long, protracted battles for power. And I think we've got to understand that. And there'll be times when, um, you know, uh, we will rise and we will we will um, we will see the victories. Um, but, I, you know, it's Amaka Cabra that said, you know, claim no easy victories. <laughs> right? And so it, it, these are battles that are that are that are hard fought. Um, and so I think what we have to recognize is there is this deeper context. This is why it's so important to, to kind of pull back the lens to see this deeper context of a global economic system of capitalism that has at its core the exploitation of our people at its core and 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 almost um without any regard for for anything else right the needs of those people the, you know the survival of those people none of that matters so in fact when we have had liberation leaders and we've had so many 
I, I think of Patrice Lumumba from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, you know, who was a union activist and, and rose up to fight against Belgium and, and you know, King Leopold, who had, uh, you know, basically um, practiced um, uh, uh, genocide, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, the Holocaust was practiced you know, in, in um, DR Congo and in places okay. like yeah, with Germany. So you, you had horrific cases of inhumanity and people rising up to fight against it. Patrice Lumumba was killed, right, was killed. And a, a leader who was seen very much as a puppet, quite frankly, of the West, of the multinational corporations, um, you know, he was put in place. That was Mobutu and kept in place four decades, mm. right, to do the bidding of, of um, external actors. Um, so I think we've got we've to understand, right? So it's only now that information is being declassified that we can see USCIA, UK clearly had a hand in the assassination of Lumumba. There are also cases... I mean, there, there's there, there, there's so many. Thomas Sankara is another one that comes to mind because he was, uh, you know, from the, the late 80s, a feminist. Like, you know, um, Burkina Faso, he first of all changed the name from Upper Volta to Burkina Faso, land of, land of upright people. Burkina Faso, land of upright people. And he also, it was, it's still one of the few countries that has um, wage equity for men and women. Burkina Faso from the 1980s under Sankara, right? But because he was visionary, he was also an environmentalist, by the way, right? <laughs> right? Um, and and he, was, he was killed. And others who were seen as doing the bidding of, of, of particularly capital, um, Western capital, uh, were, were, were put in place. So South Africa, when we look at South Africa, the, you know, um, the battle that, that the um, forefathers and foremothers fought was hard fought. That battle um, is in a context of global capital that has constrained um, the alternatives, right? In in too many ways, right? So so you know, um, yes, South Africa produced a Steve Biko, a Black liberation leader who thought about economies running in a whole different way, a much more kind of social, so you know, um, socialist kind of fashion, right? Was 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 the vision. Of, of a of a Steve Biko, but he too was 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 assassinated, right? So I and and so I think you know we have to acknowledge the 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 gains. Um, Mandela um, as a freedom fighter was like an is an icon. Madiba was an, an icon for so many, um, primarily because he he sacrificed so much. He and his and Winnie Mandela sacrificed tremendously, and um, and led the country through a really difficult period. Right. Um, Mandela first said he would he would only serve one term, which he did. And many respect him for that. But um, but also you recognize that the changes that happened just in 1994 with the end of white rule were just a small step, like a baby step in what is needed in a country that is 95 or so percent people of color. But yet that small percentage of of quite frankly, white rule remains in place today. Mm. The economy is still structured in ways that favors 
that minority, whether it's access to land and who controls the land or the mining sector or any of the industries in the country. So so when you see what's erupting now in South Africa, you know, it started off as, oh, um, Zuma, who, who, who many see as a problematic person, quite frankly, a problematic leader, you know, again, um, this, this is the same uh, Jacob Zuma uh, before he became president, who was, um, uh, you know, he was taken to court on charges of rape um, because uh, he, he literally raped a person who had HIV AIDS and um, and said, you know, some some really like outlandish things about about, uh, you know, how he would be protected in spite of having raped uh, her. Um, and so this is the same this is the same leader who then became president and then was embroiled in kleptocracy to the highest extent, you know, basically selling off the, the, the resources of the country um, to a few families. Um, you know, um, the Guptas is the name of one of those families, but there are many more. Um, there was also a decision made under Zuma to push forward nuclear energy in the midst of all of the lessons learned from, you know, um, from Japan and the disaster of Fukushima. You know, Zuma was pushing forward deals um, with Russian companies on nuclear energy with the U.S. and others. Right. So this is a deeply problematic leader who is finally, many say, at long last being held accountable because the South Africans have built basically a people's court, right? a court that is going to bring accountability to make sure that no one is above the law, including uh, those in the highest office of the land. So it is that court that Zuma essentially said, oh, I'm not going to play ball, right? I'm not going to even go along with the machineries of a, of a trial. And, and so it is that court that held him in contempt and essentially um, insisted that he be uh, imprisoned, right? And um, and so, so much of what you see happening, even though it started off as, oh, supporters of Zuma, it's actually deeper because it is a reflection of that, that deep-seated inequality. Rev, you've been to South Africa. You know, even today, South Africa, even the way the cities are structured, the center, the center of almost everything is the business district. Control, right. right? Then there'll be a circle of, of homes, like a suburb where, where pretty much only whites and a very few wealthy blacks live, right? Then an outer circle where there might be sort of mixed races might live. And then an outer circle where, you know, the rest of us live, right? And so it is still um, a deeply racialized, deeply fractured society because of global capital and that systemic oppression that has not, unfortunately, um, it's not been dismantled even though the political machinery was dismantled, the economic um, oppression has remained deeply in place. So if you look at the communities that don't have access to land to grow food, if you look at the communities that don't have access to, to energy, clean energy, right? if you look at the, the, the communities that don't have decent schools, if you look at the communities where people are getting on trains and buses and several buses and you know trying to, to even get to work will take you an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, right? It is still communities of color deeply um, um, marginalized um, from economic means, from um, from even, you know, again, land, healthy foods, those basic building blocks of healthy societies. And yet it is those same communities where you see, you know, the, the, the devastation of, of mining, 
of, of you know of coal mining, you know where where um, communities are being dismantled to put in ports that will 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 especially now uh, with China wanting to play a deeper role in Africa and 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 this Belt and Road Initiative building ports across the the continent, including in places like South Africa. But there were people on 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 that land that's now being claimed for for for, for these these ports. And it is our communities that are being devastated. So Rev, when we think of South Africa, you know, we should, we should draw a line. We should draw a line that, that, um, that, that helps us understand that ultimately we've got to dismantle um, racialized capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's been the root of oppression for our people. Um, and it has, it has been what has um, really, um, you know, been like the, the, um, the, the the anchor, right, you know, for not only corporate exploitation of our lands and our people and our rights, um, but also um, military might, whether it's uh, um, the, the, the military or the police in South Africa or the military or the police here in the U.S. It is it is a, a capitalist system that is militarized to oppress our people and to strip us of our rights and dignity. So when we're thinking of South Africa, we need to to really put it in that broader context of inequality and fight for um for for true freedom really for true liberation of our people um that 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 economic freedom that environmental justice that we need as a people to survive and that we need to to make sure that future generations have a chance to thrive folks that's what's called a mic drop that's right that right there what you just heard is what is just like, man, um, my dear sister, I tell you, I, I, that leads to this question. So this is something that was came up when we were preparing for this conversation. And with all that you just said, now bring your lens to, because you've been here in in America. And so bring that lens to this side. And, and what is it that every black American um, should know about Africa. If you if you you now have this space, I, I I have I have somehow um organized every Black American to listen to what you're about to say, and you now have the ears of all of them from the from every aspect. What should they know about Africa? Oh, Rev, what uh, I I feel the energy and power of that potential, right? I think ultimately we are all one. We are one people um, fighting for dignity and rights. We have been exploited on both sides of the Atlantic by the same actors who, because of their greed and their racism, have rendered our people invisible on both sides of the Atlantic. And so, you know, what do we do? We we rise, Mm. right? I mean, you know, Maya, Maya Angelou, you know, she said it better than anybody. And still we rise, right? I feel like this is how our people, we are deeply visionary, deeply um, resilient. And, um, and, and so it is understanding and building that connective tissue as a people that I think will, will, will help us um, thrive. So I think we, we draw the connections. We understand that yeah, it's you know it's Exxon Mobil. Whether it's in Nigeria from 1956, where Exxon Mobil's been exploiting oil, or it's in Louisiana, right? It's, it's these these companies are global, and they are 
um, they they have um, destroyed uh, our our health. Um, they have um, um, you know not paid proper taxes, not been held accountable um, at the expense of of our people on both sides of the Atlantic. So we've got to fight for true liberation. Um, that means standing up against corporate abuse. That means seizing power. And that will be power in the streets. It's also power in you know places like Congress and 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 legislatures. And and I'm just, you know, I'm 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 just um blown away by all of the efforts to strip away voting rights in the United mm. States. Because, because I think there's a recognition by the uh, the, the white supremacist white uh, right um, that that you know if you strip away people's opportunity to choose freely their leaders and hold those leaders accountable, you know the rest of it can't happen, right? So I think fighting for um, for for people to to fully own their destiny, right? To be able to run for office, you know, as many of our leaders are doing now, right? I mean, you know, Senator Warnick, I feel like, you know, lead the way. Let's, let's have more right? people of conscience in Congress, right? I feel like it's been the, the Maxine Waters, the, the Barbara Lee. It's like, you know, Karen, people who are like, you know, thinking in a, you know, a global way, but understanding that they have the power to also act, you know, nationally and globally. And so it, it's it's understanding that our people can act in multiple ways and creating opportunities where all those levers of change can be pushed. So so I'm I'm really excited as we see you know um, in you know investors cha- challenging Exxon Mobil <laughs> and getting on their boards. That's interesting, right? Because it's it's shifting power from within. Um, but I think, you know, we've got to also recognize that all the inside strategy is, is it, it, it depends on, survives because of outside pressure. So we need our young leaders. Mm. They are bold, courageous, creative, um, understanding um, social media, understanding technology, understanding, you know, the, the power to bring change um, but also understanding their power as investors, as activists, as um, as 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 voters. Um, so I think it's it's connecting all those dots um, for for particularly our, um, our our family on the U.S. side um, to be able to 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 seize their power, um, to use that power for the liberation of African people wherever they are on this planet. Mm. So I, I I know all right, man. This time I knew this time was gonna go fast. I knew it. I just I knew this time was gonna zoom past. So I got some just rapid response things. I just want you to kind of I want you to touch on them real quick. And this some um, just gonna I, I just want to get it in because folks got to hear it because there's so much. But here's first one. What is Africa Day? Let's start with the easy one first. Oh well, that's I call it Africa Liberation Day, right? Like come on, form- yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah. Now. Africa Liberation Day. Yeah, the African Union uses Africa Day, and that's okay. They're like, hold up, Africa. But for many of us, that liberation is in there for a reason, right? Come on now. 
let's not forget that. That's key. So Africa Liberation Day, May 25th, is a day when um, the Organization of African Unity, as we talked about before, started with, with Liberia and Egypt and a number of other countries coming together to vision a, 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 a continent that would be united and strong and working together. So May 25th, right? And so that's the day. And it's celebrated every year, but but it's been in the last few years elevated by groups like Africans Rising for Justice, Peace, and Dignity. And this year they had, I can't even remember, it was um, multiple continents and, and you know, uh, activities and and um there were people um organizing, whether it's it's um protests or or music. Um, um, uh, sessions. Um, there were painting sessions where you know people were were painting about um, uh, liberation and 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 love, black love, right? It's you know all of that happened on on May twenty fifth. So so it's a day when we we you know we come together um, as as a family to say this is us. We're proud. We're strong. We're thriving. And let's 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 reach our fullest potential. Um, so that's that's Africa Liberation Day. Let's let's make our true liberation happen now and into the future. That, that's so that that's supposed that's not so quick, but okay, I'll be quick. No, 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 no. That was that was good. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was fantastic. No, so next one here is about you as a amazing black woman. Um and just so this question here is that this summer has been called the anti-black woman summer because of all of this, the kind of the pushback against, I mean, just the, the, the young woman from the Olympics to poetry, you just name it. You've, we've seen this, um, but you've kind of carved out a space for yourself, a safe space. And also you are a mother of amazing black women as, as well. So what, what advice, and we have a lot of young um, black women who listen to the show, what advice during this moment um, as an intellectual, as an activist, as a freedom fighter, would you give other Black women? Oh, what a beautiful, powerful question, Rev. I would say the the advice is to, you know, bring your true self always, right? And recognize that it is our mothers, grandmothers, aunties who came with their true selves, bringing all that they had to the table to, to you know, they, they, it is on their shoulders that we stand, um, so I think part of why this has been, a, 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 you know, described as a summer of um, anti-Black women is because, you know, people are afraid of our power, right? Um, so, you know, whether it's the phenomenal leaders of, um, you know, the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, you know, they were, they were women, dynamic, phenomenal, young liberation women, right? Um, and, and so I think you see an effort to, um, to strip away power, you see an effort to just to, to, to kind of um, delegitimize, right? To um, strip away uh, hard-earned credentials fought for in the streets. Um, so I think you know we've got to understand that context and 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 be true to ourselves. Um, I think we also have to learn. I feel like the lesson I learned from my, my, my phenomenal um, twin daughters that, you know, Rev, you know, is, you know, they have taught me to think more about self-care. Mm. I think it's a, it's a, it's a generation that is understanding that we, we, you know, we cannot truly liberate our people unless we, we make sure that our energies are, are, are you know, our internal energies are 
well-rooted and grounded. And so that self-care is, is vital. Um, so to my young sisters, I share the lessons that I've learned from my daughters. It's, it's the self-care. Um, uh, and then it's, it's be true to yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think when we, when we hold up um, our role models, right? I mean, I think of both the formal um, spaces, um, like the Wangari Matais, and, and you know um, that you know who 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 led uh, uh, tree planting in in Kenya and and won a Nobel Prize for her work. But I also think of that my grandmother, that you know a, a single mom with nine kids. For each child that was born, she planted a tree. She planted a tree for each of the nine when they were born. She knew that the soil would protect. That um, that it, w- it would feed, um, it would sustain. So I think we honor the lessons of our foremothers. We honor the lessons of our daughters and their daughters still to come, and um, and 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 we fight. Um, we fight for um, the betterment of our people. It is by bettering and um, centering um, uh, our people and and our power that we will better um, and save this planet. I totally believe that. So we start in our homes and, and our households and our communities, and we, you know, we extend um, to the nations and the world. And so um, in each sphere, we, we, we seize our power. In each sphere, we remember the self-care. In each sphere, we, we learn the lessons of those who've come before. So much more to talk about, but I, I can't think of a better place to end but right there and how you did that. And thank you, my dear sister, Amir. How can folks keep up with your work and how can we support you? Oh, well, I, I, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I feel like the first step is to support Hip Hop Caucus. Hip Hop Caucus has been such a, a, an incredible leader um, now for decades, Rev. I'm so proud of you and the team. You know, so let's start there. Let's make sure that we 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 hold up our our, our vital institutions that have um, that have been in the leadership, um, not only for environmental justice, but fighting against militarism, um, fighting for a better world across issue areas, right? In that intersectional, beautiful way. So let's hold up Hip Hop Caucus and keep it going. Um, I think we, we, you know, that so how people can, I feel like, you know, Africans Rising is another one. I'm a proud ambassador of Africans Rising for Justice, Peace and Dignity. So, and, and they explicitly um, bridge and, and link movements on the continent and in the diaspora. And I think the diaspora, we've got a group now, you know, also started by Opotamiti, Diaspora Rising, right? We've got to recognize that we're seizing our power in so many beautiful ways. And so I would say to all those listening, support any and all of those um, movements. Um, it is the movements that I think will, um, you know, they, they, they will hold us to a, a vision of a future that the world demands. And, um, and so let's hold up those movements um, and keep them strong. Um, I'm uh, right now in, in um, this, this philanthropy space. I'm, I'm you know, so Shine, the, um, the Shine campaign is, is working on clean energy access that is community scale, that is community owned, 
that is driven by uh, indigenous people, by women, by those community leaders we've talked about today. So I think it is important for us to recognize building blocks, the right to health, um, access to clean energy, um, uh, you know, the right to to just kind of um, choose their leaders and and hold those leaders accountable. Um, again, whether it's Washington D.C. or um, or you know or, or South Africa or Haiti, um, those rights are universal. Our people have fought and died for those rights, and we've got to carry on that battle until um, true liberty is won. Our guest today is Amira Woods, a senior advisor at Shine and an associate fellow at the Institute of Posse Studies. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, my sister. Oh, what an honor to be with you, my brothers. Stay strong, stay strong, stay well, and much love to all of the Hip Hop Caucus family. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know.